What does it mean to be spiritual? How would you answer that? Census data shows that Australia is becoming increasingly secular. Uh, what I mean by that is the people identifying with uh, ticking the box no religion in the census is increasing. Uh, so uh, it'll come up on the screen. In 1986, 19.3% um, of Australians ticked the no religion census box. Uh, in 2021, it had nearly doubled to 38.9%. But at the same time, other research is showing that Australia isn't necessarily becoming less spiritual. So uh, McCrindle, who did research in all various aspects of Australian society, said this about Australian spirituality and religion. Uh, despite not considering themselves as religious, Australians are increasingly describing themselves as spiritual, with more than one in two believing in God, spirit or life force, and one in four having had a mystical or supernatural experience. Uh, and in fact, of that, uh, on top of that 27%, there was another 35% that said that they knew someone else who had had some sort of mystical experience or supernatural experience or believed that those sort of things happened. And so, uh, we've, so we've seen this in the rise of yoga and meditation, all sorts of spirituality disconnected with organised religion. Uh, the Alfred Deakin Institute for Citizenship and Globalisation, I didn't know about this group until this week, but anyway, they did a, a study on Australian, a Gen, Australian Gen Z study, and here are some of the fascinating results that came out of their survey of 1,200 teenagers. 67% uh, either believed in God or gods or some sort of higher being or force. Now, of those 1,200 teenagers, 20% believed in astrology, 20% uh, believed in UFOs, 50% in karma, 31% believed in the existence of ghosts, 29% in reincarnation, and 25% in some way being able to communicate with the dead. Isn't that fascinating? Makes you wonder about their sample size and where they're getting the teenagers from, but I think it's a fascinating result, isn't it? Spirituality is clearly on the rise. But what exactly does it mean to be spiritual? Is it about things we don't understand, things we can't, can't explain, some mythical, mystical connection with the mysterious, with the eternal? Uh, our world seems to be content to leave the definition of spirituality very vague and individual. You can decide for yourself what's spiritual for you. That's where our world has landed. Out the world may be confused, loosely defined and very individual when it comes to spirituality, but what about us? What about you and me? In the Christian church, aren't we also confused about what it means to be a spiritual Christian? What does it mean to be led by the Spirit? What does it mean to live by the Spirit? What does a spiritual Christian look like? What do they do? What does the Spirit do? How does he work? I mean, we know the Father, we know the loving Father who sent the Son, we know the Son who died on the cross for our sins, who laid down his life for us. What about the Spirit? In this, our final week, looking at what we know of God, what it is to know the God who made us personally, really, the God who is Father, Son and Spirit. Today we're focusing on the Spirit, who he is, what he does, what it means to be spiritual Christians. Let's go to the start of the passage we just read, that uh, Chris read for us, uh, John 15. Have a look at verse 26. In these last two verses of John 15, we meet the spirit that Jesus calls the counsellor. 
And you can see that in verse 26, the Spirit is the counsellor. Now that sounds helpful, doesn't it? But what does it mean that the Spirit is the counsellor? Uh, does he like sit down next to you and help you work out your problems like a modern day counsellor? Like how does that work? Uh, counsellors are great, but I don't think that's what Jesus has in mind when he says that the Spirit is a counsellor. Uh, the word means something like helper or someone who comes alongside, uh, which is a little bit more helpful. The Spirit helps us. In the Psalms, God is often described as our helper who helps us in our time of need, who comes to save us out of our times of trouble. So is Jesus saying that God will be our helper now through the Spirit? Well, absolutely that's what Jesus is saying, but it still sounds a bit vague. What is he helping us in? Well, if you flick, flick back to John 14, verse 15, um, so if, you just, if you've got one of the Bibles from the back, it's just back one page, you can see it. John 14, verse 15, we see that the Spirit is not just a helper, but he is another helper. Have a look at verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commands, verse 16, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever. He is the Spirit of truth. So if the Spirit is another counsellor, then the first counsellor must be the Son. That's helpful. Because if we're going to understand the Spirit's work as a counsellor, as a helper, then if we understand what Jesus does as our counsellor, as our helper, that'll help us to see how the Spirit continues that work. So how was Jesus a helper to the disciples? Well, he helped them by bringing the word of God to them. He helped them by revealing the glory of God to them in the person of the Son. He helped them by revealing their sin to them, convicting them, helping them see their rebellion against God and made clear that he, Jesus, is the only way that salvation can be found, that life with God can be found. He's the only one who can bring us back to the Father. So the Son has begun that work, and the Spirit will continue that work as our helper, helping them, convicting them of sin, convicting us of sin, turning, turning them to the Word of God, reminding us of the words of Jesus. And we see this deep connection between the work of the Son and the work of the Spirit throughout John 15 to 16, and in fact throughout the Scriptures. Have a look at chapter 15, so flick back, chapter 15, verses 26 and 27. Uh, Jesus calls the Spirit the Spirit of truth. Jesus said he is the truth that sets us free. We saw that last week. Uh, so the Spirit is the Spirit of truth that brings us to this word of truth, that is Jesus. The Spirit testifies about Jesus, verse 26, and will enable the disciples to testify about Jesus too, in verse 27. Uh, chapter 16, verses 8 and 9 reveals more about the work of the Spirit, what he will do, and connects it with the work of the Son. He will convict the world of sin and righteousness of judgment. And when Jesus explains each one of those in turn, it keeps on coming back to Jesus the Son again. Verse 9, he convicts about sin because people don't believe in Jesus. The heart of sin is to reject God's chosen Son, his Saviour. And it's the Spirit that convicts us of our failure to trust the Son and how wrong that is. Verse 10, he convicts about righteousness. Why? Because Jesus goes to the Father. So just as the Son convicted those he spoke with about righteousness, both God's righteousness and our lack of righteousness, so the Spirit will continue to do that work, convicting us of God's righteousness and our lack of. Verse 11, he convicts the world about judgment. Why? Because in Jesus, Satan has been defeated. 
Only in Jesus can victory over Satan and sin be won and we can be freed from the judgment we deserve. So again and again and again, the work of the Spirit goes hand in hand with the work of the Son. He continues the earthly work of the Son. Then in verse 12 to 15, we get this beautiful, powerful, wonderful demonstration of the work of the Father, the Son and the Spirit all together. Where he says, verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own. He will speak whatever he hears, and he will declare it to you. He will declare to you what is to come. So the Spirit doesn't speak on his own behalf, separated from the work and the words of the Son. No, he speaks what he hears. The Son spoke what he heard from the Father, and the Spirit takes that word and speaks it to, to us. He takes the words of the Son. Then verse 14, he will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. Everything the Father has is mine. That is why I told you that he takes from what is mine and will declare it to you. So the Father gives it all to the Son. And the Son then gives it all to the Spirit who then brings it to us. It brings us into the love and the fellowship of the Father and the Son and the Spirit together. So beautifully do we see the Father and the Son and the Spirit working in these verses together. These chapters in John's Gospel are so important in helping us to understand the work of the Spirit. And what we see here is what we see in the rest of the New Testament, of the connection between the work of the Spirit and the work of the Son and the Word. You see it in verse 12, um, of, yeah, verse 12 where Jesus says that the disciples cannot bear all the things he wants to tell them now. And so when he returns to the Father, he will send the Spirit to remind them of the things that he has told them while he was with them. And if you go back to 14 verse 25, flip back there, you can see the same thing there as well, where he says, I have spoken these things to you while I remain with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. What we have in these verses is actually the promise of the New Testament. The reason we can have confidence that the words of the New Testament are the words of Jesus is because Jesus promised that that's what the Spirit would do for the disciples, remind them of the words that he had said. What we have in our hot little hands is a fulfilment of what Jesus said to the disciples that night. This is the work of the Spirit. The Bible. One of the works of the Spirit is the inspiration of the Scriptures. You can see this in 2 Peter, chapter 1. Now, above all, you know this. No prophecy of Scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit inspired the writers of the Old Testament and the New Testament, ensuring that the words that we have aren't just ink on a page. It's the powerful, living, active word of a loving, active, speaking God. But the Holy Spirit's work intertwined with the Word of God doesn't stop just with the writing of the Scriptures. He takes that Word. He convicts us of sin and righteousness and judgment. He continues to testify about the Son through the Word of the living God, pointing people to Jesus, opening, opening our eyes to the truth of who we are and what God has done in Christ. Soon we're going to reflect on the way that he continues to work through the Word to change us and mould us and make us more like him. But let's stop here. And just consider the wonder, the importance of this deep and lasting connection between the work of God by his Spirit 
and the word of God about his son. Again and again in scripture, whenever the work of the spirit is mentioned, the word is mentioned. The way, the, the way God works is by his word, through his spirit. The Spirit's work is never separated from the Word of God. So in Acts 2, the Spirit comes, flames of fire upon the people, the disciples in the upper room, and they speak in tongues. And what do they speak about? Do they speak about the wonder of the Spirit? No, they speak about the Lord Jesus, who has died for them, who's risen from the dead, the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and the need to repent and turn to Jesus, because that's what the Spirit does. Points us to the Son. When I was at university, I went to a church for a couple of years that ran a course designed to um, equip people to speak about Jesus, a course called Evangelism Explosion. I grew a lot from that course. It was a great course, um, and I learnt a lot and grew a lot. The reason I decided to go to that church was in part because it ran that course. But the longer I spent in this church, the more things began to change. Uh, the senior minister went to some conferences on study leave in the US, uh, and when he came back, what he considered to be the ministry of the Spirit became the focus of the ministry of the church through miracles and tongues and uh, ecstatic prophecies. That all came to the fore. And in the beginning, I loved what was going on. I was excited by what was going on. I wanted more of it. I longed for this immediate experience of the Spirit, of the power of the Spirit in what I thought was the unexplainable, the ecstatic. But then I got dragged along begged to go to this week-long conference by the, run by the university uh, ministry on the Holy Spirit. And they helped me see the link between the Spirit and the Word, always going hand in hand, that the Spirit's work is to bring glory to Jesus. After that week, I went back to my church and I noticed in my church that Jesus was more and more in the background. And what they saw as the work of the Spirit was in the fore. The evangelism explosion course had closed. Evangelism became less important. Jesus, yes, was mentioned by name, but so often not spoken in depth from the front. The cross of Jesus wasn't explained really clearly. The real action of what was going on in that church was what they saw as the Spirit. The Spirit's work was actually divorced from the person and the work of Jesus. And I realised something wasn't right. That's what the Spirit does, points to Jesus all the time. If you're on about the Spirit, you'll be on about Jesus. That's the evidence of the work of the Spirit in the church. It's like a rope intertwined. The Spirit and the Word always, hand in hand, intertwined together. The work of the Spirit, the work of Jesus, always, always connected. That's what the Spirit does. One of the other connections between the Spirit and the Son is the way that the Spirit brings the presence of the Son to us. That through the Spirit, God is with us. Have a look again, John 14. Have a look at verse 15. Verse 15, as Jesus speaks to the disciples, they're perplexed, they're concerned because Jesus said he's going. And Jesus says, verse, uh, verse 15, he's speaking to them, and he says, I will not leave you alone. Yes, I'm going to the Father, but I'm going to send the Spirit of truth who is with them and will be in them. In verse 18, Jesus says he will not leave them as orphans, alone, helpless, defenceless, powerless. No, he will come to them. How? Through the living presence of the Holy Spirit. Then in verse 23, he says these words, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him and we will come to him 
and make our home with him. If you trust in Jesus, God lives in you by his spirit. The Father and the Son are present because the spirit lives in you. The world can turn against you. Your world could fall apart beneath you. Your health could deteriorate. Your friends could reject you, but God will never leave you. The Father and the Son have made their home in you. You are a temple of the living God because you have the Spirit. It's an astounding gift. But how do you know that the Spirit is within you? How can you be certain that you have the Spirit? Let me answer that by asking a different question. Do you trust in the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Saviour? Have you repented of your terrible sin and found forgiveness and hope in Jesus? Do you know that Jesus died for you, was raised for you? That in him you're a child of God? Do you love God's word? Do you love what God has done for you in Jesus? If you answer yes to that, then you must have the spirit within you. That's the only way we come to accept this great God who has saved us in Jesus. That's the spirit's work. No one bows the knee to the Lord unless the Spirit powerfully works in them, convicts them of sin and righteousness and judgment, and gives them new life. You may or may not feel different. The evidence of the presence of the Spirit is not a warm feeling in the cockles of your heart. That might come, it might not. Surgeons won't find it when they do open-heart surgery. Okay, That's not how it works. No, we know the Spirit lives in us because Jesus promised he would, and Jesus is good for his word, and so we can know it. Reflect on this for a moment. If you trust in Jesus, you are a temple of the Lord. God lives in you. The Father and the Son have come to you in the person of the Spirit, have made their home with you by the powerful word and by the work of his Spirit. And they are at work powerfully in you and through you by his eternal and life-giving word and by the presence and person of work of the Spirit. He is at work to produce this great work, in particular, of love. Who can tell me what the fruit of the Spirit is? Okay, here's a test. Does anyone actually know? Oh, you? Yes, 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 Priscilla? Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Oh, wow, give her a clap. There it is. It's from Galatians chapter 5. Thanks, Priscilla. And if you want to work out how to memorise that, I think Priscilla's got it. It's really good. It's one thing to be able to say, these are the fruits of the Spirit, isn't it? It's another thing to do them, isn't it? It's hard work. This patience thing. If you want a dangerous prayer, pray for patience. Um, These fruits, these ways of relating with God and with others, is the evidence of the work of the Spirit. This is the miracle that God does in our hearts to change us, that we're more like him. But even though this is so powerful and so wonderful, under all this is an even deeper work of the Spirit in our hearts that bring about this outward change in the way that we relate with people. What the Spirit does is not just bring about obedience, outward acts of righteousness. What he does is a much more powerful, much more lasting, much more inward altering thing. He changes our heart. He changes our longing and what we love. The fruit of the Spirit at heart is about loving what the Spirit loves and the Spirit loves the Father and the Spirit loves the Son. And so the work that he does in us, that we would love the Father and love the Son just like he does, that's the fruit of the Spirit and it shows in these different ways. 
Through this series in Knowing God, we've seen again and again that the Father and the Son and the Spirit are in and always have been in a relationship of love, of glory-giving, glory-receiving, other-person-centered love. The reason God made the universe was an outward working of his love for the Son and the Spirit. The reason he saves us is that the love of the Father might be in us too. And so the great work of the Spirit is that like him, we would love the Father, give glory to the Father, and we would love the Son and give glory to the Son. The Spirit changes us so that we love the Father and love the Son like he does. And that love overflows in joyful, thankful, patient obedience. God's not a God who looks down on his people and just wants to see them doing what he says. Now, of course he does, but there's something deeper that he longs for. Relational love. He longs for this real and genuine heartfelt relationship that the love he has for the Son and the Spirit might be the love that we have too. A love that shows in obedience and suffering and joy and patience and perseverance. A work that the Spirit does. This is a miraculous work of changing you so that you are more like the relational, loving, sacrificial, compassionate, other person-centred God that we worship. That has saved us. So the Spirit will change what we love and how we serve and how we think through this powerful word and by the power of the Spirit. That's the miracle. That's the astounding miracle that, the, that God does by his Spirit. So many Christians look for the powerful work of the Spirit in, in healings and supernatural miracles and strange tongues and ecstatic immediate prophecies. Now, of course, God can do those things by his Spirit. But as he does, as you see that happening, always look to see if Jesus is the focus and not those things themselves. Always ask that question. However, there's a more impressive and powerful miracle of the Spirit, and that is the giving of new life. That is the raising of the spiritually dead. That is changing hearts, turning people to Jesus, That's and, and putting the spotlight on him. That's an astounding miracle of the living God by the Spirit in us. So you go to church. Let's say you go to church. Someone gets healed, and you think, yeah, that's cool. Then afterwards, you talk to people, and you talk to someone, and they say, oh, listen, I've been really working hard at kicking this greed habit. I just so easily excuse spending big money on myself. And I've been really convicted because Jesus has died for me and everything is his. And you go, wow, what an amazing miracle of God. What an amazing work of the Spirit that God has done that in you. Praise God for that. That is so cool. Let's pray, praising him together. You know, because that's, that's, that's a miracle, isn't it? The changed heart. We should celebrate it. So what does it mean to be a spiritual Christian, to be led by the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit? Well, have a look at what Paul says about being led in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit from Galatians. I say then, walk by the Spirit and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, moral impurity and promiscuity. Then verse 22, uh, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Should have got Priscilla to say that. Um, the law is not against such things. Now, those who belong to Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If you live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. People that love Jesus, that struggle with sin, that serve others, that yearn to know God better and help others do the same. They are spirit-led, spirit-filled, spirit-baptized, spirit-dripping people. It doesn't get any more spiritual than that. It's practical, it's relational. Being led by the Spirit is not about listening to some still, small voice in your heart as he guides you in the decisions of life. No, it's bigger than that. 
is about a changed life. It's a relational, active, obedient life. Loving God, loving the Father, Son and the Spirit. Growing in love for the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Letting that love shape the way that we speak and act and relate and care and forgive and serve. So how can you keep in step with the Spirit? How can you work out living spiritual lives? It's not in the mystical or the mysterious. It's in the practical and the personal. We pray knowing that God has promised by the work of his Spirit and his Word to be at work, to change our life and to change the lives of those around us growing his kingdom. The work of the Spirit, what do we do? We should read God's word to fuel that work of the Spirit in our life, that the word and the Spirit will work together to change us. The work of God's Spirit by God's word should give us confidence, confidence in our struggle with sin, knowing that the Spirit lives in us and is changing us, confidence in, in our service and ministry, know that God, knowing that God is working powerfully by his word and his Spirit in the lives of those around us, changing people. Now, that doesn't mean that God will always save those that we pray for and speak to, all that our struggle with sin will be simple. No, it'll be hard. But it means we can be confident that God is at work and we can give ourselves to that, knowing that he will. He will do that work. He does do that work. He can do that work. We can persevere knowing that God's at work to keep us till that last day by his spirit and his word. What a wonderful thing that we can know the living God, the loving God, the God that is Father, Son, and spirit. I'm going to finish this series by praying a prayer, a reworded prayer that Paul prayed for the Ephesian church. Let's pray. Our glorious Heavenly Father, we pray that according to your riches in glory, that we will be strengthened in power through your spirit. We pray that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. We praise you that you have given us your spirit and that you are with us. We pray that we might comprehend and appreciate the length and width and height and depth of your love and to know the love of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, a love that surpasses knowledge, that we might know and love and serve you fully. To you be glory in the church forever and ever. Amen.